Yeah. Okay, so you guys, we're talking about love, and, and the, the thing is, um, love's such an, uh, such an odd, odd word, because, because um, we use it in such powerful ways to describe how we feel or what's going on, and then we use it in such kind of minimal ways in how we, how we feel. We, I can describe the, 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 the connection I have with my wife for 25 years and three years before that of dating her. I can, I can describe that connection, that, that love that I have for her. I remember the first time I said I love you to her, and then a couple years later we needed a new word, so we said, I remember what, what it was like when we said, in love with you, because we need to make up something different than love you. Now I'm in love with you. And that's even more. And then, and then for 25 years, we've been able to say that. And so, so, we're, so, so there's that deep, deep connection that I have with, with my wife that I can say, I love you, and it means something. You can say that with your kids, and you just go, man, when, you, when, you, when your, your baby is born and you're holding your baby and there's an intimate, automatic connection that you've got, you just go, man, there's a, a, a love there, and we describe that. But then I also would say, I love uh, 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 five miles of green grass that has higher and lower levels of that grass and 18 little two and a half inch in diameter holes all over it. I, I, if you put, put me out there in five miles with 18 little holes, I love that. I have a guilty love that I want to confess to you. I love cheeseburgers and, um, and McChicken, spicy McChicken sandwiches and Sasha and Egg McMuffins from that little store 500 yards across this parking lot. I love that. I love it. And it feels good for me to confess that to you because there's times where after church I will go over there and I'll be in the, in the drive-thru and I'll see some of you driving by and you're judging me. I know you are. <laughs> I'm in line, and there's a part of me that needs to hide. And I'm going, what am I hiding for? Because I'm at that store that's across the parking lot. Do you guys really have that much of a problem with it? Just because I watched Super Size Me and then went out and got a quarter pounder with cheese does not mean that I have something wrong with me. I'm just saying that I love a McChicken sandwich. I love it. So we love, I love my wife and a McChicken sandwich. And we use that word all over the place. But here's what's really weird with this word. You would never ask me, how do you know you love a cheeseburger? How do you know you love it? You're not going to ask that. You just know that I love a cheeseburger. But when we're talking about our relationship with God, or our relationship with God, when we're talking about, about who God is, and we're talking about, I love God, well, what in the world does that mean? I mean, if you really think about it, that is a, 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 a crazy a, a thought. It's, a, it's, a, it's an odd thought that I would love the maker of the universe, that I can't see and I can't touch and I can't feel. Like, like Brian said, we're in the heart of invisible God. The series that we're doing, we're going, how in the world do we love a God that we can't see, feel, or t- even, even hear you know, I've, I've heard that, that love is a lifetime's conversation. And I'm going, okay, if it's a lifetime's conversation and I'm only talking to God but he's not talking back to me, then how in the world do I love him? What does that mean? We want to dig into that. Last week, Jim, Jim talked about why we would love him. We would love him because he first loved us and because of what he has done for us, that gives us enough reason to love him. 
but how do we love an invisible God? That's what we want to talk about today. God, we want to pray that you would be with us as we walk through this. God, we, we recognize the, the need for you here. As we come face to face with our own struggles and our own thoughts about this, we pray that you would speak to us. God, help each one of us to be honest in this time. Help us to, to peel back some of the layers maybe that's, that's happened over the years. And we'd be honest with you about where we are with you and what this means in our relationship. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, so we recognize this concept, God, God, this invisible God, and we, we thought, you know, it's, it is a, a, a hard one for us to embrace. And we thought, well, how are you guys feeling about that? What are you thinking about that? And here's what we did. We decided to go out into Boulder and onto Pearl Street and ask some people what they think about an invisible God, okay? Now, Jim and I had no desire to do that ourselves, and so we sent Chris Sturgeon to do it. So we said, <laughs> you... Will you go do this for us? So Chris and our intern, Ellen, Ellen, that's doing a lot of the the work around here with the graphics and stuff, the two of them went onto Pearl Street, and they just stopped people and said, what do you think about this idea of this invisible God and and, and how how we might connect with them? And so they got a number of different um, snippets from that, and we put them all together, and this is a piece of what they found. We're going to show a couple of these over the next couple of weeks. This is what they found. If you can't see God or feel God, how can you know there is God? Like, why can't I feel him? Because he, he's invisible and, and he's just in the air. I guess there's not really a way to know there is one. I personally like the ambiguity of it, just like kind of the idea. Um, I love mystery, so it's kind of that unknown. I think just intuition. Can you say more about that? What do you mean by intuition? Um, if you really just connect with things, things just add up. I wish I could preach like that. Eh, it's just ambiguous, and if you connect with things, they just add up. <laughs> I wish I could do that. It would be so much easier. Um, we can look at that and we go, oh gosh, there's just nothing concrete to that. But then we th- if you really think about it yourself, and you think about it in your own uh, pursuit and thought about who God is in your life, there's quite, I think we all have questions like that, and we all can end up concluding something that seems a little ambiguous. But God doesn't want it to be ambiguous. God wants it to be tangible. God wants it to be concrete. It's so while we look at it and we say, gosh, I don't know, God looks at it a little bit differently. He says this, look what it says in John 14. He says this, he's the person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Master, why is it that you are about to make yourself plain to us but not to the world? Because a loveless world, Jesus said Jesus, is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word, and my father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. Not loving me means not keeping my words. The message you are hearing isn't mine. It's the message of the Father who sent me. 
See, you guys, I think that when Judas is asking this question in the middle of this passage, I think when he's saying, hey, how come you're revealing this to us, not other people, and he's talking about because it's a, it's a sightless world, I think that what he's asking is far more than just why you're revealing it to me. I think he's trying to put his arms around it. I think he's sitting there going, wait a minute, we have been walking and we've been trying to do this, this thing to, to, to follow God and, and, and we're just trying to, to do all the right stuff. That's what we're trying to do is just doing all the right things. And if we do all the right things, we stay in good standing with God. That's all we've ever done. And now you're throwing in these words. You're throwing in words like love. What? I think that they, they were, that was part of their confusion. What in the world does that mean? Now, I want to do something with you guys today. I want to ask you to do something that, that is going to be difficult for some of you. I'm going to, some of you have been saying for a lot of your life, I love God. Some of you have been doing that. Some of you have said that for 30 or 40 years. I love God. But what does that mean? When you unpack that, what does it mean? What I want you to do, whether you've been saying that for six months, or you've been saying it for 30 years, or you've been exploring saying it now, or you've been coming here because you want to say that, I want us to put that right out here in the open, and I want us to look at it for a little bit. When you say, I love God, what do you really mean? Do you mean that I love this, this God that's out there? and just, what, what do you mean when you say it? Let's unpack that a little bit, because look, if you don't, and you just go, I don't need to hear this because I love God, and that's it, man, we're stopping our growth. Let's, let's look at it and figure out what does this mean, because here's the deal. I think for many of us, we will say, I love you to God. We'll say it. But what we really mean, because it's so odd, it's such an odd concept, because of that, because it's hard for me to put my arms around it, what we really mean isn't, I love you, God, it is, I really, 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 really respect you. I respect you. I respect you as, because I know that there's, this isn't, we're not here by random chance, but we're here by what you've been doing in, in this world. I respect you as God. I respect what you've done for me and for other people. I respect your moral principles that we're to live our life like. I respect that. I respect it so much, I'll live like that. I'll live for those moral principles. I respect you so much, I'll serve you. I'll respect you so much, I'll pray to you. I respect you, God. And because of that respect that I have for you, you'll see that lived out in my life. Wouldn't a lot of us say that's, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. When I say I love you, God, if I peel it back, it's just this deep, deep, deep respect that I have for God. And I'll live that out. Philip Yancey is a writer and a pastor, and he said this. He says, I know there is a God. I believe he exists. I just don't know what to believe of him. What do I expect from this God? Does he intervene upon request or am I to accept his son's sacrifice for my sins, count myself lucky, and let the relationship go with that? I love that because he's, he's saying, man, I don't know what to think of this God. And so should I just count myself lucky for all that he's done for me and all that he's done for this world and just say, man, do I respect you. And I'll live for you. I'll let that relationship stuff go. 
And so our life will look very similar to other people's lives. Our lives will be all about knowledge and behavior. We'll gain more knowledge. Our behavior will change. We'll continue with that good behavior. And that's us showing this deep, deep respect that we have for God. Is that some of us? It might be. For some of us, it's, it's a reverence for God. It's you, we revere God. We have this reverence for who he is. I mean, growing up in the tradition, I grew up in the Catholic tradition for me, man, I had a deep reverence for God. That when you came to Mass, you would, you would you kneel to pray. You'd say certain, certain prayers and certain creeds. You'd say, you'd say things and you'd just go, man, this is part of my reverence for God. And that reverence for God leads almost to a, little, to a fear of God because you're, you, you're in such awe of him that you also fear him if you mess up from, from being reverent to God and recognizing him. There's a fear that's there. Sometimes Catholics get a bad rap because, it's, it's because it, you say that they're, they're guilt-ridden all the time, but I think it's more of it's just fear. Out of the reverence that I've had for God, then there's this fear about messing up, And because of that, I'll just keep trying to do stuff so I don't disappoint him. And that's my life. There's some people, it's about about, uh, 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 respect. And some people, it's about a reverence. For some, it's about just straight obedience. I just need to obey him. For some, it's I don't know, but I've been doing this thing. And all the rest of the Christians do this thing. They come to church. They do this stuff. So I'm going to do it too. And here's what happens as we look at, our, at, this, at this relationship. What, what happens is we've turned it into this is our religion. And we follow this God and we do our best with our knowledge and our behavior to appease him. We do our best to do what we can. And then we just go through life that way. And we've turned it into this that's our religion. And so that's why some people go, you're just more religious than I am. And I'm not as religious as you are. We've just turned it into our religion. Now, some of you might remember a time when you look back and you sang a song and you're going, man, I remember when that used to touch my heart. You'd read something, you'd go, I remember when that spoke to me. Or you'll go on, you'd go on a mission trip or you'd serve someplace and you'd just go, man, I just remember when that, that, was, that just sunk in deeply and something else was happening and stirring up inside of me. And I started to call that a relationship. And I started to think that that was a relationship. But some of the things of this world and, and a prayer that was unanswered or, or multiple prayers that were unanswered or hardship that happened or something happened to you or to somebody else, and you start to go, it just doesn't feel like relationship. Maybe I was just kind of making that up in my head. It doesn't feel as much like it. And so I'm going to just go back to the same thing. Man, I respect him. And then we'll turn into religion again. As I was studying this and looking through this, this is what I, this, I read this. Tell me if you, if you can relate to this. I've been going through an enormously difficult couple of years. At times it seems I will crack beneath the pressure. All of this has shaken my faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm still trying to pick up the pieces of a one shake, unshakable faith. I find myself asking the question, not is God or Jesus for real, but is my faith? And if what is called a personal relationship is truly authentic, I look back on all I've said and done in regard to him, and I wonder, did I really mean what I was saying? I mean, how can I say I have a faith in God when I constantly wonder if he's really there? I hear of people praying for the things that God told them this and that, but I find when I say those spiritual things, I'm only trying to impress someone or just being plain dishonest. 
It makes me sick to my stomach to think of it. I keep asking myself, when will I just, when will I just get it? When will things click for me? What is wrong for me, in me, with me? See, that's talking about an invisible God that they're trying to figure out. And we work on it, and we, and we don't know what to do. And so out of duty, we come to church. And out of duty, we pray. It's, it might not be very intimate prayers, but it, we're praying. Out of that respect, we, we read Scripture because we, we, res- we respect Him. But it's not about relationship. You guys, here's the deal. And this is, this is, this is I know it's odd to hear, but we've got to grab hold of this. God is not longing for our respect. He's not longing for our respect. God's not up there just going, man, I just wish they would respect me. God is not longing for our reverence. For us just to be in awe of him and to see him in a distance and to drop to our knees. God is not longing for our reverence. And he's not longing for our sacrifice. Okay, they're getting it because they're just, they're serving there. He's not longing for our sacrifice. The one thing God wants from us and is longing from us is the one thing he doesn't have the power to make us do because he chose to relinquish that power. He chose to say, no, I'm going to give these people a choice. I am not going to create robots. I'm not going to create people that have to do something. I'm going to give them a choice. Here is what I'm longing for. I'm longing for them to love me. I love my creation so much, and I want them to love me back. And he knows that when we love him back, respect will come. Reverence will come. Serving will come. But what he's longing for isn't respect. It's love. When you think about that, when God created us and he said, here's the one thing I want from you. If you were God, what would you want? What would you want? I would guess most of us would want want them to obey me. Man, I hope they obey me. I'm longing for them to obey me. But the maker of the universe longs for us to love him. To love him back. Because he loves us. Man, that is, that, that, that's got to that's make you sit and think for a second of all the ways that he could have done this and what he should have been or could have been longing for. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. And when he came along the shore in the Sea of Galilee, he saw Peter in the boat. Peter comes running to the, swimming to the shore, runs up to him, and he comes right to him. And Jesus says to him, what? He had, he, had, he had denied him three times. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says to him, why didn't you obey me? No, he didn't say that. He says to him, why don't you just serve me? He didn't say that either. He said this, Peter, do you love me? And then he asked it again, Peter, do you love me? He just went through literal hell, Jesus did, went to the cross, went to the grave, 
came back and the first thing he says to his closest friend that denied him is, do you love me? That's what he cared about. That's what he's asking every single one of us. Do you love me? Now we might still say, is that even possible to, to love God? Okay, I hear that you want me to love you, but is it even possible? And I've been wrestling with that as I've been working on this talk. I've been wrestling with it going, is it possible to love an invisible God? Is it possible? But then I started thinking about it. I started using common sense. If God's greatest command to us, if his greatest command to us was to love him, his greatest command, the number one thing, when, everyone, when, the, when the Pharisees were talking to God and, saying, and they're talking to, talking to Jesus saying, what's the greatest commandment? What's the number one thing? God's greatest command for all of us was to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, I want you to love me with everything you've got. Now tell me what kind of weird, backwards God would say, love me, but then know that that's impossible to do. What kind of God would do? The greatest command, love me, but I know that you can't and you'll end up just respecting me. He wouldn't do that. That wouldn't make any sense. God says, I love you. And, and, and he wants, he says, the greatest command is to love me back. Love me with everything you've got. So it's possible. Some of you need to hear that in the room right now. It is possible to love God. Now, how do we do that? How do we love him? Well, God knows this is going to be hard. You guys, sometimes we sometimes think God made this idea, had this idea, but didn't think it through because it's hard for us. We sometimes think that. But God knew this was going to be difficult. God knew this was going to be difficult to, to love him. He knew that his creation wouldn't recognize him. He knew that he would be fully present, but we wouldn't see him. He, when he sees us doing a series called Invisible God, he's going, Invisible, why you call me invisible? He'd be going, why you, why you say you can't hear me? Why you say you can't, can't feel me? Why, I, it's, it's me, it's God. God is fully here. God is fully present. He, he knows this, we just don't. And so we'll say, let's invite God into this place <laughs> when God's already here. We'll say, gosh, how awesome was that event? Because then God showed up. <laughs> God was already there. See, God's fully here. He's not partially here. He's not sitting in a chair in the corner. Although that would be weird. You know, if Jesus was walking through this and he just sat down, I'd be more nervous because he'd be just sitting there staring at me. He's, he's fully here. And he's fully here. He's not part. He's not, oh, I got, I got him a little bit. He's fully here. And God knows that, but he knows that our apathy will keep us from seeing him. He knows that our, our sin, the things that we, where we turn our back from God, will keep him from seeing him. He knows that our doubt will keep us from seeing him. And so because of all the different things that will keep us from seeing him, God knows how hard it will be. We, he will seem invisible to us. He will seem at distance at times from us. And so he says this, here's my plan. I'm going to put a foot on the ground. I'm going to put a foot on the ground. I'm going to walk on this earth. I'm going to feel the things that you're feeling. I'm going to see the things that you're seeing. You're going to get to touch. You're going to get to, you're going to, get to talk to. You're going to get to listen to. Through my son, 
I'm coming onto this earth. And that's his plan. John sets out to write this. He says this. He says, it's true that no one has ever seen God at any time. I love it when he says that, you guys, because sometimes we think that those people in the Bible, those are the ones that would go, oh, come on. He's here all the time and you should see him. He says, it's true that no one's ever seen God at any time. Yet the divine and only son who lives in the closest intimacy with the father has made him known. Paul writes from Colossians 1.15. Paul is, is one of the writers that wrote a lot of the New Testament. And I love this. He says, now Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. He's acknowledging, I know that God looks and feels invisible to us. Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. You know what's important about those two passages? They wrote them both after Jesus had died and risen and ascended into heaven. And so they're not writing this going, and so you guys that didn't get to see Jesus, tough luck, tough luck, you didn't get to see him. They're saying, look, for all of us, all of us, trust our witness. God actually walked on this earth, and Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. And then Jesus himself in John 14 says, if you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, let me give you that. Sometimes the Bible's hard to understand, and you got to get the Greek, Greek of it or the Hebrew of it. And so I'm going to give you the Greek of the Hebrew of from now on. Because he says, if you know me, you'll know my father also from now. You know what that really means? You know what Jesus really meant from that? He said, when he says from now on, he meant from now, where he was talking, to on. That's what he meant. From now to on, okay? So that's your deep um, um, translation for you guys. I'm going to give you that. From now to on. To on. On didn't mean till he died. On means now. You're living in the on, okay? We're living in the on. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because Jesus is God. And God is Jesus. He says, if you know me, you know my Father. And so what do we got to do? You guys, it is our quest. It is our quest in our life. Our quest is to know Jesus. That's the quest. If you feel like you've already figured out and I already know Jesus, keep going. If I told that to my wife, how would she respond? Jackie, I'm glad I finally just fully know you. You know, she's took me 25 years, but I know you, and that's it. Done. Man, we, anybody, any of you guys have been married for, who's been married here for over 50 years? Is there any in there that's been married over 50 years? We got some people in here. I love that. You would come up here, Arlene, you would come up here, and you would tell me, I got a little more to learn. Wouldn't you? I got a little more to learn. I haven't fully figured this one out with Jackie. Just a little bit more. A lot more. Like maybe even more than, than even what I've learned up till this point. If we say, I know Jesus, man, we got to know him. That's our quest in our life. Thank God some people sat down and wrote about it. And they told us a little bit more about it. And every time we open this Bible up and we read this stuff, we get to know him some more. 
Tony Campolo was a preacher in the 80s and 90s, and I had a chance to go on a walk with him. See, I just threw out Tony's name, and I just totally name-dropped right now. Aren't you guys super impressed? I mean, some of you guys have no idea who he is, but the older folks are going, wow, that's kind of cool. I did. I went on a walk with him, and I said, don't you get bored reading the Bible? And he says, every single time I open it up, God's got something in form. It's to tell me and something more to show me about who he is. So we get to know more about Jesus. But you guys, this is the deal. We all have our, our preconceived notions of Jesus. As I start this quest on knowing Jesus, the, 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 the image that I have in my head is Jesus is an um, agonizing God or Jesus halo God. That's the only two things I remember of Jesus growing up. He was agonizing God because, because all I knew growing up in, in, in the Catholic Church in Mass is, is, is going to Mass and the priest was more bored by being there than I was. And so he was sitting there and he was like, let us pray. We're going to talk about God. And I'm going, you're bored. I want to, a 12-year-old, I want to go, you're bored. More bored than me. And I'm really bored. And so, so what would I do? I just looked around the room, and there's these stained glass windows of what was called the stages of the cross. And in every one of the pictures, Jesus had an agonizing look on his face. And then the crucifixion, they had a cross in the back and a crucifixion there of Jesus on the cross, and he had an agonizing face. And so I look and I go, Jesus was, had an agonizing look, and that's the Jesus I knew. But he was also halo God. Because in the children's area, there was this one mural of Jesus petting a child with a halo around his head. And I'm going, it's halo Jesus or agonizing Jesus? That's how I know Jesus. Some of you have all kinds of preconceived notions of who Jesus is. And we got to put those out there first and just go, I don't think that's who Jesus really was. And then you start reading, reading scripture and you start recognizing as you're reading through this First, I looked at the man Jesus. And we look at that and you just go, you know what? There's something powerful about the man Jesus. I mean, he would get angry. He would get disappointed. He would get anxious. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he would get anxious. He was courageous standing in front of, of, of Pontius Pilate. But then he was scared of what was going to happen next. He was powerful. I mean, some people look at him and you go, it was just meek little Jesus, because you think of like Willem Dafoe in some old 1980s movie of him, and you just go, he was powerful, Jesus, to take on the pain that he took on, and he stepped right into that. He was as strong as you get, yet he was as compassionate as you get. As a woman is being stoned to death, that was her sentence for her adultery, and he bent over and extended an arm of dignity to her, to her and, and helped her up and said, okay, just go and sin no more. Man, I love you. Man, he's, he shows unbelievable compassion. He was impatient to injustice, but he was so patient to our sin, wanting us, patient to us and wanting to give us grace in the midst of our sin. He, he honored women. He loved children. When you start piling all the stuff you learn about Jesus the man, you start going, you know what? I like this guy. I like this guy. He's someone I would like. I'd like to hang out with him. He, hang, he hung out with people like me. He didn't want to hang out with the religious, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and those people that knew it all. He wanted to hang out with the sinners. He wanted to hang out with the prostitutes. He wanted to hang out with the tax collectors. He wanted to hang out with the everyday Joes. He wanted to hang out with me. I would like to hang out with him. 
I like him. Do I love him? Man, I don't know, but I sure like him a lot. But then you start discovering Jesus God, and you see his power, and you see that he changed water into wine. And, I, and I'm thinking, shoot, Jackie and I buy boxed wine because it's the only thing we can afford. And he changes it into this best wine possible. And you just go, man, are you kidding me? He takes f- loaves of, of, of bread and some fish and he turns it into McChicken sandwiches. And you just go, are you kidding me? He, he, he's on a boat and stops the storm. You guys, we got to start stop saying then Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus stopped weather. He stopped it. He stopped it was wind and rain and waves and he stopped it. And then he told one of his guys to get out of the boat and get a walk on the water. Man, he walked by a, someone with a skin disease for a lifetime and he healed him with a touch. Someone in a wheelchair for 30 years and he said get up and pick up your mat and walk. You see Jesus as God, and you go, I'm impressed. Now I like him, and I'm impressed by him. Love him? That's, a new, that's another step, but I like him, and I'm impressed by him. Then you keep going, and he makes it personal. He makes it personal. He says, you know what? 99 of you are okay, but one of you has wandered away, and I'm going to go after that with you. One of you has, has, has just, you, 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 something dragged you away or something you just decided to go that way or it's a doubt in your life that makes you struggle that way. One of you, 99 of you are, okay, are here. One of you is, had, has wandered and I'm going after you. How many of you guys are the one? How many of you are the 99? You're okay. Who's the one in here? Yeah, me too. Me too. And then he said, and then they say, hey, teach me how to pray. We, want, we need to figure out how to pray to this God that we respect so much. And he says, here's what I want you to do. And I want you to say, our father, I want you to call him Daddy. See, we say our father, we see father is this formal thing, and he used an Aramaic word, Abba, which meant daddy. And so he says, I want you to start that way. Here's how you're going to talk to my father. You're going to say daddy to him. That's the way I want you to start. All I could picture is Ella as a little girl on my chest and me watching SportsCenter at 11 o'clock at night because they only showed it twice a day back then. And I'm sitting there in this apartment and and. And Ella's on my chest, and I could just picture her pressing, uh, pressing with her hands against my chest and l- pushing away from me just enough to see my face and for her to say, Daddy. And how much that makes me melt. You know, I, it was 20 years ago. Now I'm not melting at all because they're all living in my house and it's a pain in the butt. But, um, <laughs> but, but in that moment, she calls me Daddy. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do that. I want you to call him daddy. Now all of a sudden, I'm impressed by him. I like him. And I'm touched by him. But do I love him? Then we start pulling in all of what Jim talked about last week. We start saying, look at what the Lord has done for us. That he recognized us, recognized our place, 
And he said, that person that you respect that much, that person that you revere, that person that you like, that person that you're impressed by, that person that you're touched by, I'm taking him to the cross. And he's going to die a brutal death so that you don't have to, so that we'd be connected to him for eternity. We don't have to die that death. And he's going to overpower death. I'm giving that to you because I love you that much. And I want you to love me back. And he comes to me and you, and he says, do you like me? Are you impressed by me? Are you touched by me? Or do you love me? And on the, on the marble floor in Merida, Mexico, he asked me that, do you love me? And I didn't hear his audible voice, but I knew that's what he's asking. Bill, do you love me? And in the midst of my confusion and hope for what, what this might mean, I said, yeah. I don't have any of the answers at all. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. I think I do. And then a couple of years later, I'm finding myself on the steps at Santa Clara, at the University of Santa Clara, out locked out of a chapel. Tears rolling down my face, ashamed like crazy of the of the decisions that I made just minutes before in a dorm room with an old girlfriend. And I don't know what to do there. And I hear him saying, do you love me? But Jesus, you don't know what I do. Do you love me? Do you love me? Fast forward to a run that I was on in, in, at University of Washington. And, and I was so... Um, uh, scared because of my doubt. I was scared because of my doubt. All the things that I had learned up until that point, I'm going, is any of this true? And, and I can't feel it. And what am I doing? And, and, and is, is Jesus really there? And the more I'm thinking and the more I'm doubting, the faster I'm running and the more, the more I'm just going, what do I do with this? running through the pouring rain late at night on the campus, and I finally run all the way down to, a, to an overpass over I-5, and I screech to a stop on the overpass, and I stand there, I'm, I'm with my Walkman on, it's pouring rain, it's midnight, and I'm in the massive place of my doubt, and all I know is Jesus is saying, Bill, do you love me? But Jesus, I don't even know if you're there. And he's saying, that's okay. That's okay. Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm in a chapel, in a hospital, as angry with God as I've ever been. As I watched my grandfather, that was this pillar of a man melting from Alzheimer's. That's the only word that I could describe it in watching my grandpa was he was melting in front of us from Alzheimer's. And I'm so mad at God. It doesn't make sense. And in that chapel, I felt like he was just saying, Bill, do you love me? But I am so mad at you. That's okay. That's okay. Do you love me? 
and then hold my babies. And what I was feeling, driving over 36 at the scenic overlook in 1999 and looking down on the University of Colorado campus and, and, and knowing that the Lord has called me to, to be the pastor on that campus and going, I don't want to pastor those chumpy Colorado students. They're weird. And standing before you guys and how overwhelmed I feel. Whether it's holding a baby or walking alongside you in the midst of the stuff that you're going through, that overwhelmed feeling that you feel. And Jesus is saying, Bill, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah. And then he's saying, all right then. Will you do me a favor? Will you stop trying to impress me with your prayers? Will you stop trying to figure out what the best way to start your prayer is? Oh, heavenly Father, lover of God and everything out there. Would you stop trying to do an intro in our conversation and just chat with me? Just talk to me? Will you stop timing it out to figure out if that, that conversation qualified? It was only 38 seconds, so it didn't qualify. I'll take five seconds in the car just to recognize that I'm there. Will you stop serving me, trying to impress me? I'm already impressed by you. When you're angry with me, will you be honest? Will you, is it, it, it's okay to be angry. I've, I've heard many people be angry with me and I can walk alongside you. When you're doubting me, will you know that I'm still standing there? Will you trust that I'm still standing there? Will you stay close even in your doubt? Because I know you'll doubt and it's okay. Will you stay close to me there? I was talking to my, my friend Janie Donatucci about this and she's a, a close friend and a mentor and we're walking through this stuff and I loved what she said because she said, she said, the way I picture God is I'm just on a long walk with him. He says, I've just pictured those disciples in between Galilee and Jerusalem and what did they do? They walked with Jesus. She said that they didn't, they didn't get on their phones, they didn't they, they weren't distracted by a bunch of other things. They just walked with Jesus. And she said, I love thinking about that relationship, that I'm walking with him. And, and we're laughing at times and we're crying at times and, we're, and I'm mad at times and I'm confused at times, but we're just walking together. And she, she, she says, I, I'm starting to recognize how present he is. And she says, I'm, I, I, when, when I read in a book and I read something that's a gift from God, I, I do, draw a little, do a little drawing of a gift, and it's, it's a gift from God because Jesus is saying to us, not only do I want you to, to recognize I'm there, but know that I love you, and I love even giving to you. And, I, and I, I give you that gift of that conversation. I give you the gift of that, what you just read right there. I give you the gift of a, of, of a song that touched your heart. 
I give, I give you the gift. She says sometimes he feels like he's tapping her on the shoulder. And, 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 he's, and he's saying, you like that sunset? You know how long it took for me to create that sunset for you today? We will respect God. But even more than that, he wants us to love him. And we will obey God. But even more than that, he wants us to love him. We'll revere him. Even more than that, he wants us to love him. And he's asking you and me that same question over and over and over again. Do you love me? Let's keep going on that quest. Keep discovering who he is. John 14 says it. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Father, I pray that each one of us in the midst of our own questions and doubts and struggles and desires to impress you and our, our, our hope to, 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 to respect you well and our reverence for you and our fear for you and God we pray that all of those things while they're all stuff that I, 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 are good things we pray Lord that over all of that and in front of all of that and leading all of that would be a recognition of how much you love us which is ridiculous but then how, how we can love you back help us Lord to know you through your son so that we can love you back 